I'm Forrest Brown, and you're listening to Stories for Earth. Welcome to Stories for Earth, a podcast about everything climate change and pop culture. Today, I'm excited to share a special episode I had the chance to make with my new friend, Dr. Yanas Kisten, on the 2004 film The Day After Tomorrow. In addition to being a scientist, Yanas also makes the Geekoscopy podcast, which explores the intersection between science, story, and play. Yanas is interested in science communication, and he examines the many different ways that geek culture can help science reach a broader audience. As you can tell, he and I share many overlapping interests. You can learn more about Geekoscopy by visiting geekoscopy.com. That's G-E-E-K-O-S-C-O-P-Y.com. I was actually a guest on Geekoscopy recently where Dr. Kisten interviewed me about my experience producing this podcast, Stories for Earth. After we stopped recording, we got to talking about the day after tomorrow and realized this would be a good opportunity for a collaborative discussion about its climate change themes. We both loved this movie as youngsters, so it was cool getting to talk about it as adults with a joint passion for science communication. If you want to keep up with updates on Stories for Earth, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and check out our website at storiesforearth.com. You can also find us wherever you get podcasts, so be sure to subscribe to us there. And now, here's my discussion with Dr. Yanas Kisten on The Day After Tomorrow. I hope you enjoy. Well, hey, Yanas. Thank you for coming on the show. It's great to see you again. I know I was just on your show recently, but now you're on my show. Thanks for having me. It's always good to chat to you. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Um, So we're going to be talking about um, probably one of the biggest cli-fi movies, I guess, today, which is The Day After Tomorrow. came out in 2004. Mm. Um, But before we jump into that, I was uh, hoping you could just introduce yourself briefly to uh, tell our listeners who you are. All right, so I'm Dr. Yanis Kisten. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the Nelson Mandela University here in Eastern Cape, South Africa. I mainly work on marine animal, marine and estuarine animal ecophysiology, looking at how mm. the changing environment affects um, animal health and how they behave in the environment. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of related a bit to, to climate change tangentially. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But on the on the other side, I'm also a content creator and I create media around science communication and okay. looking at how uh, different ways in people communicate science and also how kind of science may inspire some scientists in, in certain ways. So mm-hmm. I like to say that I explore the intersection between science story and play on Geekoscopy. That's my brand. Cool. Oh, yeah. And you even have hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it just the one hat or do you have them for sale or something? No, no, yeah, no, I just made some for myself. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> one day, one day maybe, but yeah. yeah, just for now it's exclusive to my head. Got it. Okay, cool. Maybe <laughs> I should make a stories for earth hat. I haven't thought about that before. <laughs> yeah, just some branding. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, cool. Uh, well, glad you're here. Um, I guess to get start, maybe we could, just to get started, excuse me, we could just kind of cover a brief synopsis of the movie. Like I said, it's, it came out in 2004. It's been out for, mm. you know, oh God, 17 well, years. Yeah, Ugh, almost 20 that, years. Yeah. That hurt to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, this is a movie that we both watched. I was, I don't remember how, I would have been in fourth grade. So I was like 10 years old. I don't know how old you were when it came out, but um, mm. I watched it a lot yes. growing up. 
it's been a yeah i've also seen it many many times yeah i mean buying buying media like in south africa is really expensive so mm-hmm. what like people can't afford it do is like they go to these you know backwater markets and buy <laughs> yeah, these, these movies <laughs> movies that have been like recorded in the cinema or whatever nice and there's like usually like four or five of them and there's this one that had like i think four disaster type of movies like ah, okay. and stuff yeah. and the day after tomorrow was my favorite one on there and i've watched it over and over again mm-hmm. probably a hundred times and i really enjoyed it classic yeah actually now that you mentioned that i was saying before we started recording that i think that my parents have a copy of this somewhere (laughs) and uh officially like off the record i think that what happened is that we did get like a pirated copy like (laughs) that so i think that's what we have (laughs) um I hope yeah, hopefully like the statute of limitations is passed on. Yeah, that's so. Well, I I don't do that type of stuff anymore. No, I, no. I do things all legal. Yeah. But yeah, when you're a kid, you you don't know any better. Also, like right, same. In some in some cases, you can't even access the content to begin with unless right. You do it. So. Yeah, it might even be harder to pirate stuff now. I don't. I mean. I haven't tried it in like years, but I, I don't even know how to do piracy anymore. Like I'm so used to doing it normally. It's so convenient nowadays to yeah, just get stuff. It is. Mm-hmm. Unless it's stuff you just can't get at all, which is always annoying. Right. Uh, but I just nowadays I'm too lazy to go after that stuff. So I just go without watching that stuff. I can't get hold of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I rented, I just rented the movie this time. Is that what you did too? Yeah, I also okay. first time ever rented something digitally was so weird to hey, me. Hey, there you go. Yeah, it's kind of a weird <laughs> feeling. Uh, uh, I don't know. It I is. Guess. It's like I, I bought like a two-day license to it. Is that uh-huh. what this means? And then like, okay, so it's I can't put it on my screen anymore after this 24 period. Yeah, right. it's weird. It's like a this is 2021, download. right? This is uh-huh. 2021 or are we still living <laughs> in like yeah like but, but i was happy to do it it, was, it wasn't too expensive um i suppose mm-hmm. it's because it's an old movie sure uh, but yeah it, it was worth the watch mm-hmm. so yeah it's pretty cool before we jump into summarizing it how do you think it held up versus like when you saw it as a kid because i know sometimes when you go back and watch these movies yeah. it just looks really cheesy yeah. yeah that's the thing like like I looked at it at like from three different perspectives. Like one of it was just like plain nostalgia, and from like a nostalgia right. factor, yeah, it's like a ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, from a story perspective, I also enjoyed because it's kind of like a heroic story. It's kind sure. of like on multiple levels, like between characters and like between the world as well. Mm-hmm. But in terms of polish it's not a very polished movie and i didn't i think at the at the time realize that there's just so many inconsistencies and so many things that are said in the movie that just don't make sense mm-hmm. oh, geez, i'm blanking on some examples now but it's just like <laughs> okay why did this character just say this and in the next scene totally contradicts um what they just <laughs> said and it makes like makes like no sense okay one i can remember is so in one scene the the main character um uh, then the main scientist character guy is like oh, oh yeah. i can i can um i can walk that far in the snow and then a couple of scenes later they all get in a truck and start like driving most of the way there. yeah and i remember like, that yeah and it's like it that's not like one example like it, it happens like many times like it's so sure. inconsistent <laughs> like nobody was there to just watch the movie through and pick out all the things yeah that, <laughs> 
yeah that is not like canonical yeah it just doesn't make sense you know that youtube um, channel uh cinema sins have you ever seen that oh yeah i have yeah i, I, I think I, they I, did I, one on this movie and i really want to go back and watch it now yeah i, I watched it this week there's like a good 160 plus sins in there great <laughs> and it's like it's hilarious like the yeah. sins and it's such a cliched movie as well. It I really suppose, is it's yeah. such a typical like disaster movie, but I yeah. I don't know. Maybe it is just nostalgia, but I thought it held up pretty well considering I think it holds some other up movies. As yeah. a movie, yeah. Um, mm. especially like I suppose for for people our age, but I think if you're younger, right. like Gen Z, yeah, I don't think it. those guys <laughs> would probably like it. Yeah. No, probably not. Yeah, yeah, it might be worth a mm-hmm. watch just out of curiosity, but you're probably yeah. not going to be like wowed by it. <laughs> no, no. I um started watching Poltergeist yesterday, um, okay. the Steven Spielberg film. I'd never seen it before, and it's like, you know, there's like a slight chill in the air in the evening now. So I'm like, oh, it's fall, yeah. but it's really not. It's like, you know, 80 something degrees Fahrenheit here today. It's still yeah. pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> so i'm like oh i gotta start watching the halloween movies um but i, I had to yeah. turn it off i was like this is so bad it's like so, it's so cheesy it's yeah. So campy yeah yeah it's very campy and it came Some out in like things don't hold up. so yeah yeah, yeah. can't be too hard on yeah. it but um yeah so i guess the premise of the movie um it is like a, a climate change movie it's might be one of the first really big ones that ever came out Actually, it might still yeah. be the biggest like climate change movie that's ever been made, which is kind of sad. But um, yeah. yeah. In so, terms of of clarify as a genre, mm-hmm. it's, it's the regarded as the first and the third wave, which yeah. is the current current wave. So it was the first biggest one. Hmm. Um, in terms I didn't know of, there were two okay. waves before that. Yeah, the other ones are there's like what Waterworld? That was probably yeah, like one. Waterworld, yeah, those type of movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is this is the start of the, the new age, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And I suppose it kicked off with a quite a big bang as well. Um because mm-hmm. around this time you had things like um, you know, Al Gore's movie and Right and Inconvenient um, Truth, which I still have yeah. not seen actually. You know, I make a podcast about yeah. climate change in film and i still haven't even seen like the most famous one <laughs> yeah yeah well it, is that regardless of the film is that is a documentary right uh, i can't remember i think i saw it once and never went back to it which mm-hmm. um, yeah like i said it's it's regarded as the start of the modern era and in terms of you know views or how much people has watched it it is pretty high up there as well yeah it did pretty well at the box office i think when it came out it mm. It didn't like it wasn't a flop or anything. Like people, a lot of people went and no. saw it, and it was like a lot of people saw it, yeah. Yeah, and I think it actually got decent critics reviews. Um, I haven't looked up like the Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> rating for it or anything, but <laughs> I think like yeah. it was like fairly like well received. I don't think anybody ever thought it was like the greatest movie ever, but uh, no. it wasn't a bad movie. It but not like the worst good, either. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like a Memorial Day weekend in the U.S. that it came out, so it was like a good summer okay. like action movie or something. Mm. Um, I guess which is when a lot of those get released, and and also Christmas yeah. for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like we have released a lot of action movies around Christmas time. Which <laughs> is like weird. Die Hard. Yeah, yeah, like Die Hard. Everybody says yeah. that. <laughs> um. But yeah, and I think when it was released, I was reading, 
I think it was in um, Yale Climate 360, uh, an article I read, it was saying that, and I didn't know this until I read this, but I think that they actually did some like promotional campaigns in collaboration with like some really big like environmental NGOs, like um, I think Greenpeace might have been one, maybe the National Resources Defense Council. Um, I'll have to go back and check. I feel like that's not right. But um, they did do like some, I guess, kind of marketing partnerships with some environmental um, organizations to like- I can imagine, yeah. mm -hmm. So- It makes sense from from like a just marketing's wise. And I suppose like probably part of the movie is to like drum up some kind of- Yeah, awareness or something. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. And uh, I guess the other interesting thing about the timing of when this came out, it was 2004, so, and it came out uh, Memorial Day weekend, which is in the summer. So um, that November was like the U.S. presidential election when George W. Bush was elected. Um, So Mm. that was, or re-elected, I guess. Um, Yeah, I guess that was... Yeah, it was a really great time. <laughs> and things have gotten so much better since then. Uh, yeah. But we won't talk too much about politics. <laughs> Let's not linger, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be depressed the rest of the day. Well, um, there's enough of it in the in the, in the movie. Uh, I got yeah, there actually cover. is a lot of, which yeah. I guess was something like climate change. You can't avoid, uh, nor should you try to, I guess. But um, mm. yeah, so I guess we can actually jump into talking about what the story of the movie was like. Mm. Um so I guess like the basic premise of the movie was that um, we have like these ocean currents, like really, really big ocean currents. I think it's the North Atlantic current in the film Mm. and essentially like melting ice sheets have caused us to slow down to the point that it essentially stops. And when that happens, Mm. it causes like a mass climate change event or a very sudden mass climate change event. So instead of the Mm. world getting hotter, like we, you know, like is happening now, we actually, right. We actually have like kind of like another mini ice age or something that happens um, because that ocean Mm. current stops and, you know, that's what allows for temperate um, uh, regions throughout uh, the Northern hemisphere. So from my understanding, it's, it's the, the melting of the ice caps. It's, it's desalinating the water. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that leads to the ocean conveyor stopping, which means that warm water, like from the equator, mm-hmm. would not get to the to the northern uh, northern parts, and everything just turns to ice. Apparently, yeah, over a few days, yeah. <laughs> uh, it happens really it's, fast. It's, it's a breakdown in climate. It's a breakdown in the functioning of how the planet mm-hmm. works, especially in the northern hemisphere for some reason. Right. Um, I don't know why it's not affecting the South as much, but yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting to think of. Yeah. And um, so I guess the movie starts, there's this, um, I had to pull up IMDb to look at the character names. Mm-hmm. Um, I also totally forgot their names already. Oh yeah. The only one I ever remembered is Sam. That's Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, I guess the kind of main character, the protagonist is, uh, Dr. Jack Hall, who's like a paleoclimatologist, I think, is mm. his specialty. Um, he's played by Dennis Quaid, so it's a pretty big mm. Hollywood name. Um, mm. But he is, I think he's in Antarctica at the beginning of the film, either that or the Arctic. I don't know if it actually, yeah, I'm sure it tells. No, it's, it's the Greenland yeah. ice sheet, right? 
I think it's north, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So um, the Arctic. Um, yeah, do they say explicitly? It might have been just like a like a, a title on the screen. So it probably did. It, I don't. Yeah. I don't remember now. I wish I'd written it down, but somewhere in the Arctic where there's a lot of ice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, either either side would have the mm-hmm. same effect, right? Um, but I'm guessing it's the knot because the knot gets impacted throughout the movie the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I guess they're like gathering ice cores, which uh, scientists are doing yeah. currently. Um, mm. And then basically like the whole ice sheet like cracks and there's this really big dramatic moment where he almost falls in this crevice that opens up and it's like the yeah. movie is just kind of like nonstop action. It's just <laughs> yeah. something is always happening. Something very dramatic is always happening. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. And then you know, from there, they're like, what's going on or whatever. And then um, all this like extreme weather events start happening all around the world. Um, I feel like they oh, focus a lot. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, you know, like they show there's like this really crazy, like hailstorm in Tokyo that they show. In Japan. It's like, yeah. yeah. It's like, um, you know, pieces of hail the size of like a cinder block or something is just like yeah. falling from the sky just and just straight like, up kills one guy. Right? I know it's like the street, yeah. which I never understood why that guy he's like standing at this like I guess it was like a ramen shop yeah. or something. He's, he's like standing under out, out of the way. I know he's like under an awning and then he's like puts his briefcase over his head and is like I'm gonna run under this <laughs> truck for some running. reason. <laughs> yeah, and then you know it gets clobbered in the head with a giant piece of hail. <laughs> um yeah Yeah. i guess they had to have some kind of you know death in the beginning to catch people's attention but i suppose i (laughs) suppose Um, i wondered if if that was made now would that scene have been in japan i don't know they did have an event kind of like that in italy recently i thought i don't think it was like as dramatic as it was in the movie but Mm. i think it was like northern italy they had hail like the size of like a softball you know kind of like pretty big Jeez, it's wild yeah. and it just like totally stopped traffic on this highway and it was like punching in people's windshields on their cars mm. it was bad um also there's my cat <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like all kinds of crazy stuff and then there's you know eventually they i guess it's at NOAA, noaa um the national oceanic and atmospheric association i think is what it stands for um yeah they call like an emergency meeting sort of and uh you know like the vice president is there and like all these important yeah. you know like government people in the u.s and yeah. like, what's going on and of course like uh dennis quay dr jack hall like walks in and he's like i think like what we're seeing is like a mass climate change event or whatever and everyone kind of freaks out um so it's it's one of those classic like the scientists were warning you about this. Nobody listened. And now there's like the disaster. So, um, Mm. and I guess just the rest of the film is easily. Yeah. Cause what is he like? Very formatted like Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but there's like, um, I guess there's a scene. I can't remember if it's before or after the Noah meeting when he, I don't know how you would do this, but he just like, is in like the u.s capitol building or like the white house or something and he's like the capitol yeah it would have to be the capitol um and he's like oh there's the vice president here's a bunch of papers like explaining what's about to happen or whatever <laughs> yeah like, no that's that, that's after at first he starts in the arctic wherever then they're at new delhi india right the yeah first meeting and there's and like a blizzard in new professor. delhi 
Yeah, meet the other professor from Scotland, I think. Is it Scotland? Their research base is in Scotland. Yeah. And then, yeah, he goes back to the US and then he mm -hmm. travels from where he is to um, like whatever center that they are using as as like a base. Right. For the effects, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think, side note, I think that uh, scientist from Scotland, I think that's the same actor who played Bilbo Baggins in the original Lord of the Rings series. Yes, yes. Yeah, because I was Maybe. watching it and I was like, he seems so familiar. I know, I was like, I've seen your face. And I was like, it's Bilbo. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the casting yeah. was, was, was good. Uh, yeah, there, it was actually a pretty good cast. People. Mm -hmm. Although I would have liked to see a bit of more diversity in there. Right, yeah. I think the movie was made before there was a big push for, for diversity, so it right. seemed very whitewashed. Yeah, it, it was super whitewashed. I just, like, mm. also just the whole story I felt like was pretty whitewashed, but um, I guess we're about to see that with what happens next in the it's, story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I think that's a, that's a good point for, like, progression, because mm -hmm. it, it's... Like it's noticeable, like right, yeah. How how whitewashed it is, and it's like, oh, we must have progressed a bit to get this far. If it's like so yeah. obvious, <laughs> yeah. um, it didn't seem real. It's like it doesn't seem like a real. Oh, I know, world. it's weird. Yeah. yeah, it's so weird going back and watching movies like that because you're like, where are the people? <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, there's only like, the real people. Yeah, yeah, there's only like one group of people represented in this movie. That's yeah. not it's just, just a handful of attractive people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very unrealistic. Um, yeah. But yeah, so after, I guess after they have the Noah meeting, like things start to get really bad. There's like it has mm. a bunch of like these really intense disaster scenes throughout the movie, which I guess are worth talking about. Um, yeah. There was like, we already mentioned the one in Tokyo. There was kind of one in New Delhi when they were at the, I guess that was like a yeah. pop conference. It was like or raining there, right? Yeah. I think it, it was, was a blizzard. Noah conference. Yeah. It was yeah. a blizzard. Wow. Yeah. Cause it was That's like snowing. Really yeah. Yeah. And they were like, it's snowing in New Delhi, which, I've never been to New Delhi, but I would imagine. <laughs> I guess that's no uncommon. Sense. Yeah. yeah, I would expect so. Yeah, it's not um, like the Himalayas. Yeah, it's like no. I know south it's north, that. but not that far north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it did have like there was that really crazy scene in Los Angeles, which I think when I was a kid, oh, yeah. that was that was the part that freaked me out the most. So when I was a kid, yeah. I was like, still am, but I was just like terrified of tornadoes. Um. Hmm and they're scary yeah and where i live we have a lot of tornadoes so i was always like mm. terrified that we were going to get killed by a tornado or something when i was a kid <laughs> so yeah. seeing seeing this part was not great for me sleeping uh well for a while yeah. but uh yeah there were like these um was it like two or three like super tornadoes basically they were like three yeah. like f5 tornadoes six total and then there were three big ones, and then two of them yeah. like joined together and became one really yeah. massive. <laughs> yeah, it was like crazy, crazy. stuff. Which I don't even know yeah. if that's how a tornado would work. No, it's not. No, it's Doesn't not. It's very like likely, it. like, from what I understand, I've watched a couple of videos about it. It's like the conditions you need to generate a tornado are so specific. Right. Like they need the environment to be in such a specific way, mm -hmm. wind directions. Yeah. Um, and just the whole like, temperature, air. yeah. Like, so 
the way it's generated normally is like very specific part of the US that has it. Mm-hmm. And the oh, area where like uh, where <laughs> yeah, where LA is is not that uh, that's why it's like no. one of the one of the weird part. It's like it's not likely mm-hmm. to generate this um in that specific area. Mm-hmm. So if two tornadoes had to like touch each other, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah, it's not like more likely join forces. Yeah, more likely to like get away from each other instead of mm. join yeah join forces. Yeah. It's but that almost like make anthrop- for a good movie. Yeah, so it was anthropomorphic. It was like okay, right. let's get together to defeat the humans. I know we're going to kill all like, of them. Destroy. Yeah, there's like this really like I think it was like in the trailer that they would show on TV or whatever advertising the movie when it came out, but it was like. You know, there was this reporter who, for some reason, was like on the ground, like right in front of this freaking huge tornado. Yeah. And yeah. she, or he was like, you know, talking on the news. And he like turns around and a billboard just comes, like, smacks <laughs> yeah. him and he like flies off. Such a funny scene. I know. It's I, really I know funny. it's supposed to demonstrate like some kind of horror, but for one, like, <laughs> there's a freaking giant tornado. What are you I know. doing there? I know you would and not be on course, the ground. Yeah. Of course you're going to get killed. Like, what did yeah. you expect? I know. It was, it was hilarious. Ridiculous. I don't think I don't think tornadoes usually kick up enough like um power to move something that heavy that big sideways. Mm-hmm. Like, they might pull it up and then like it might fall on you. Yeah, I don't know Which if they would was, like cuz yeah, I don't know because if the powerful, winds though. were that powerful. Mm-hmm. How was he able to stand there? Yeah, the exactly. He's pretty, he's pretty That's what I was wondering cuz I was like how is he that also yeah. happened when I was watching Poltergeist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like there's this scene like in the beginning when I guess I don't really know what was happening. It was just like mayhem outside. It was like there was an earthquake and there was a like, yeah. really, really fake looking tornado. And then there's this really fake looking tree that looks like the Whomping Willow from Harry Potter. And it's mm. like trying to eat the kid or something. And then like yeah. the tornado like rips the tree up and the dad is like in the backyard trying to save the kid from this tree the kid stuck in the tree and the he like manages to get the kid out and then the tornado like sucks this big huge massive tree up but somehow they're fine they're fine it doesn't get them and he like pulls the kid back to the ground so i was like yeah hmm okay maybe this guy's wearing like lead boots or something like that (laughs) (laughs) i don't know yeah it's it's the same thing with later in the movie like when there's this this super cooled air coming through yes yeah it's kind of like chasing people I know. <laughs> How does this make any sense? And it doesn't. It's just there for <laughs> entertainment value. It's just but dramatic effect. Yeah. yeah. And then oh, what was it? There was oh, there was another. But they scene. do. Oh, sorry. Like, go ahead. I think on that on that point, you know, with the the tornadoes forming and like the the, the ice chasing people mm-hmm. and like the wolves and stuff. It, it's right. almost like the 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 director's trying to portray that like nature made like a decision to yeah, like, just destroy totally. these humans. Yeah, it's exactly. like, okay, we're going to do everything in our power to just reset mm-hmm. everything right now. Yep. You guys are going down. Yeah. That's exactly and, how it seemed. And yeah, I suppose like from a story, like, like human, like, like from a horror type of perspective, it's mm-hmm. like kind of interesting, but like realistically, that's no, it's like, you're just going to have a bunch of, mostly unrelated things happen slowly over time yeah this it's everything just happening together in this condensed way Mm -hmm. where it seems like everything is anthropomorphic and trying to get you yeah and i guess that's why they had that like emergency meeting at noah because they were like what the hell is going on like you know there's like you know 
three like F5 tornadoes or six or however many it was like in Los Angeles. There's like, yeah. you know, this thing happened in Tokyo, like yada, yada, yada. Um, and then, oh, there was that scene. Um, it was when, actually, I guess there's like two heads of state who die in this movie now that I think about it. Um, because there was the yeah. scene um, in the UK where I guess the the Royal Air Force or whatever was going to go mm-hmm. evacuate the prime minister. Um, I think it was the prime minister. It might've been the Royal the, family. Yeah. The, royal, the royal family. family that's yeah. right. Yeah. So they were like going to go evacuate the Royal family and like they're flying their helicopters and then the fuel tank. So the helicopters the freeze. Yeah, yeah. The fuel lines freeze and the helicopters just like crash out of the sky. And you know, you have that mm-hmm. scene where the, soldier or whatever like opens up the yeah. door of the helicopter and he sticks his head outside and just freezes instantly just freezes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they they foreshadowed it with the mammoth in the, in the museum right yeah that like, was good. oh the mammoth got frozen instantly yes yeah yeah that's right because they were like in the museum of natural history i guess in yeah. in new york this yeah. was um for anybody who hasn't seen the movie this might be confusing sounding but um <laughs> Yeah, because it's like um, Sam, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, who's the son of the scientist that we were just talking about. Mm. He's like in the museum with his buddies from school and they like come to this um, woolly mammoth exhibit and his friend is like, oh, it was found like frozen instantly, like with food still undigested in its stomach or whatever. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, so all kinds of crazy stuff that happens but yeah there's a lot of foreshadowing at the start yeah for like, sure like too obvious what was gonna yeah happen later. that's like always how movies like that are though it's like <laughs> oh i wonder what could possibly happen next um yeah, yeah but um oh, so but that, that scene is quite scary that the helicopter is just like oh mm-hmm. this guy get frozen and yeah it's, it's like, pretty yeah. crazy they don't. They don't ever say like whether the, the royal family gets rescued or whatever. But like, I whoever was coming to didn't. save them lost. Yeah, yeah. So it's like unspoken. Yeah, I just assume they kind of just died. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So they show they show like the the transit going down, but with the American mm-hmm. side, like they show him leaving, but they don't show what happens to his right. Like, cavalcade. Yeah. So that was like after the Noah meeting, and they were like, okay, like it's about to get way worse, like really fast. So we need to like, you know, crisis mode. We need to like start evacuating people. And then there is like this really, again, dramatic scene uh, where Dr. Hall like goes up to like a map of the continental U S and he just like draws a line, like pretty much like, yeah. yeah. Yep. There's a slide. Yep, he's like pretty much everybody south of this line can be rescued. Yeah. The whole north half yeah. of this, which is probably like, you know, half or more than half of the entire United States yeah. population, is like it's these like, people yeah. are a lost cause, and like you yeah. basically just need to focus on saving who you can. At and, this point, like Canada is probably already dead. Like, I know, yeah. It. <laughs> I know like, they just never even talk about Canada, which I thought was yeah. it was so sad because you know they. <laughs> You know, they have all these scenes showing the UK and stuff, which is, you know, like probably more unlike uh, similar to Canada in terms of like latitude than the, U- the United mm. States is. But 
Um, they never even talk about Canada once. <laughs> and here they are, like Canada. our northern neighbor, and just like, yeah. okay, well, screw Canada, I guess. I don't know. It must have gone down in like one day, like one hour. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it must have just been wiped off the map. Yeah. Like, oh, we don't need to mention it anymore. <laughs> There's no or, more Canada. Right. Or, you know, to a lot of Americans, we're probably just like, oh, I thought Canada was just already like that because it's so cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which it's not. But um, yeah. So just, yeah, for sure. Sorry, Canada. You did not really make it out very well in this movie. Um, so no. yeah, then they they start like evacuating people. Um, like pretty much all the people south of that line, which I was watching this and I was like, man, this is just like this would never happen, especially after seeing like the government response to the the pandemic and stuff. I was like, these people would they would just let them die, but <laughs> that's like <laughs> me me being cynical, I guess. But um, so they they start like evacuating people to Mexico mm. and I guess like South Texas or something. Um, yeah, yeah, to Texas, some parts of Florida, right? Yeah, Just as far Mexico. south as they can go. Um, mm. And then, of course, everybody who was in like in the the northern states in the Midwest and you know pretty much the whole northern half of the country they're just like well, oh, well. left to fend for themselves yeah, yeah. including the president because they're like you need to get out of here and he's like no like i'm gonna be a hero and i'm gonna stay and they're like no you really need to go and he he doesn't listen and then yeah it like you were saying it's just like realistic yeah right the, the feed just kind of like cuts as he's like <laughs> yeah they're like well the president's dead or whatever um but the vice president survives. He's like in Mexico. And um, also in this movie, the vice president, I mean, I know they did this intentionally. He looks just like Dick Cheney. Uh, it's so weird <laughs> watching it. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so then Dr. Hall, he just goes on this rescue mission. And that's kind of like the, I don't know, what, what would you say? Like the second half of the movie or something is like this rescue yeah. mission. Yeah. Yeah. Because his son is it's in the main. It's kind of like the big like, conflict. The main, yeah, it's the story arc. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, in a lot of ways, For I him feel like, at least. Right. Because I feel like in a lot of ways, everything else that kind of happened was just setting up to like this, like single man basically on a mission to go save his son. Because um, his son Sam is in New York for some kind of like a, I think it's like a debate competition or yeah. something for his yeah, high school. It's a, it's a, decathlon oh yeah yeah so and then he gets stranded in new york um i guess his dad i guess they probably had to live in washington dc if his dad was working with noah um so his dad like has to make like the pretty long trek actually like i was watching it i was like there is no way you could (laughs) like walk (laughs) from washington dc to new york city and what like three no. days especially not in like blizzard conditions like whiteout conditions yeah. um yeah. but he does and then um yeah he the rest of the movie i guess is just him trying to rescue his son who's like camped yeah. out in the new york public library uh trying to stay alive they start burning books to keep warm and stuff uh yeah, they mm. burn like the tax law section of the library, <laughs> which was funny. Um, yeah, the, yeah. A lot of a lot of that part of of the film in the in the library, it it seemed like it was like they were hinting at a lot of like you know social issues and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
but it was done very subtly because obviously like the main issue is like climate change but there was like there was was a crack at taxes there was a crack uh, at Friedrich Nietzsche yeah there was that was pretty Um, funny (laughs) (laughs) and there were a couple of other there was a crack crack at like homeless people and there was Mm -hmm. a specifically like food wastage right Um, yeah and it was like okay like they were thinking well it was kind of interesting because like they were trying to cram all of these like social issues in there, but they're, they're right. doing it like tangentially. Mm-hmm. And a big one was like cancer with, with the, the mother, yes. which was a plot line that it's interesting, but it's it, it was a bit distracting from like, yeah, I was there's so about many that conflicts going it. on. Mm-hmm. And you got this one here and it's like, yeah, I mean, cancer does suck. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but why why did you portray this in this particular manner mm-hmm. um, that's a good call out yeah that's honestly something mm-hmm. that's easy to forget after watching the movie because there's so much other stuff going on but um yeah i guess it's um, the thing it gets drawn out because there's so yeah many, i mean the weather is it's armageddon outside or, or the apocalypse outside right um uh, which which was interesting but i think it goes to I think the point maybe they were trying to make is that people that are are vulnerable already are like that's, super vulnerable. Yeah, in, in a that's kind of what I thought they were trying to show. So I guess it was Sam's mom. I I couldn't. I was trying to tell from the movie if, um, I guess the mom and dad are divorced. Is what it seemed like. Yeah, I think yeah. they're separated. Yeah, yeah, they're separated at least. Um, but the mom is like a cancer. I couldn't tell if she was a nurse or if she was a doctor, but think she um, was a nurse yeah sure. um doctor. Mm-hmm. but uh she was oh no she's in, a doctor because i think at the end she had yeah, a name tag you're right mm-hmm. yeah. and she had the lab coat which of course is what all doctors wear yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course yeah. yeah so she was like an oncology doctor and there was like this one patient oh, like a, a kid with cancer that it kept showing um and i guess they had to like evacuate the hospital or whatever and for some reason they couldn't move the child probably because he was in a really, you know, like unstable condition, I would assume. Yeah. So yeah. apparently they needed an ambulance to to move him. Yeah, 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 that's right. So was was that her only patient? Like I was wondering the same thing. I was like surely not. Like we have, you know, even before the pandemic, we going back to 2004, we've had like such a huge like medical staff shortage in the US for so long. Like surely that's not mm-hmm. her only patient. But um yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, at least they were, yeah. it was like a, I guess, kind of like a special quote unquote patient who I guess needed extra care or something. Um, but yeah, mm. they also, on that note of like, I guess, trying to show like the people who are already vulnerable will be, you know, like the hardest hit um, or even more, you know, like in danger when uh, we start seeing more severe effects of climate change. Um, there also was the guy experiencing homelessness um, in New York who is in the library with Sam and his friends. Mm. Um, I thought that was, I don't know, it was kind of interesting the way that they did that. And I was honestly kind of surprised that he made it into the movie. Um, just considering. Yeah. He yeah. seemed more like uh, comedic relief than anything. Yeah, uh, I did kind of pick up on that. I don't know. He was kind of yeah. an interesting character, though. Um, 
because he was like um, I dig him. I, I dig his character. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's pretty cool. Because like and uh, at the start, like he, at the start, he is like the one that says that oh, all these people are so consumerist and they're polluting right? everything. So mm-hmm. he was also one of those uh, foreshadowers. Right, whole, exactly. Person. Yeah, he was. Again, it was like one of those things. It was just kind of almost ham-handed the way that it was so blunt, but <laughs> it was like just yeah. saying these really like on the nose statements about like you know like just typical things you would expect like an environmentalist to say or something um like mm. with the, all these people with their you know like gas powered cars or whatever polluting the environment mm. um yeah. yeah and then i guess so there was like a basically like a tidal wave that hits new york city like right before like the really extreme cold oh, yeah. weather starts settling in and it's like raining a lot like right before that happens and he keeps like going around to these different places and he keeps getting like kicked out of like hotel lobbies and you know all these different places which is you know just showing i thought that like at least in the united states and in other countries too it's essentially illegal to be homeless um like Mm. there's pretty much nowhere you can go without getting harassed by the police or you know getting kicked out of wherever you go so yeah. I didn't know it was that bad. Oh, it's, Don't they have like really, shelters really and stuff? Yeah, but they're like severely like underfunded it's and up. Yeah. we don't have nearly enough of them. And yeah, it's not good. I mean, I know that in some, so I live in Atlanta, which is in the Southeast. So pretty far South, but um, here, like our winters are pretty mild. They don't get too, too cold. Um, But I know that like further up North, like where there is really, really cold winters, like, it's lethal to be outside for more than a certain amount of time, just in a regular winter. Mm. Um, yeah, they do. That is actually like a law in some cities. Like if you see somebody who's, you know, experiencing homelessness and they're outside, like you, if you don't report them to, you know, like the shelter to like come and basically pick them up and take them for to, to safety, like you can actually be prosecuted for that. Um, oh, geez, cause wow. it's basically like you're, you know, it's kind of like, um, negligible or what is it like harmful negligence i guess um because yeah, yeah that person could die in you know it's like unless you say something so but yeah i, I mean it's pretty yeah. bad here so um yeah but then in south Africa, i think it's it's mm-hmm. a bit different because we just have such a large like informal like housing and informal trade thing going mm-hmm. on here that you could you could just like go and like scrap, like get some scrap together and like build yourself a house in the informal settlement. Mm, yeah. Um, and there are there are homeless people like in the cities and stuff uh, right. as well. But it's not like illegal, illegal to go do that. It's not like the government is just like going yeah. around and like just trashing the informal settlements. And oh, they do that here. They, yeah. They just don't have the money <laughs> for one. Mm-hmm. And it's just so, there's just so many people living building. Uh, beneath the poverty line it's like probably the majority of people here sure um whereas i think with you guys the majority probably live above the poverty line right yeah i forgot expect i forgot exactly what the poverty rate is in the u.s it it is maybe higher than you would expect um i feel like that kind of gets underreported a lot how much poverty there is here but um, yeah but um no we have um we have um I mean, there's like a huge housing crisis here. Like we don't have enough housing for one thing and then we don't have enough affordable housing for another thing. It's very expensive. Affordable, yeah. 
So mm-hmm. um, especially like in the bigger cities and on the West Coast, there's, you know, huge numbers of people who um, are houseless. And um, we um, it, like I used to live in Nashville, Tennessee, which is um, just a little bit north of where I live now. And we would have like a huge number of homeless people there. And um, they would do like you were saying in South Africa, where they'll basically, you know, get tents or pick up scraps or something and build a settlement. Um, and we called them tent cities because they would get like camping tents from like the army discount mm-hmm. store or something. Um, and you would have like these basically kind of like, um, well, it almost looked like villages, but it was just people living in tents and they would you know, essentially mm-hmm. just form their own communities which is not hurting anybody, Mm. you know, like it's the least you can do to just, you know, leave them alone. Um, And, you know, they'd go places that are like um, in the woods or something. And like, you can't even really see them unless it's like winter and the leaves are off the trees or something. But, you know, like there's a whole documentary about this called Tent City that came out like a few years ago. And basically like the city would be like, hey, you guys have like this many days to clear out of here or we're basically going to send the police in to just, you know, clear you guys out. It's horrible. It's really sad. And this actually happened very recently in Los Angeles. This is a huge, huge point of contention in Los Angeles right now. Um, You know, there are a lot of people, um, I'm not going to mention too many specifics because I'll get the story wrong and I don't want to do that. But um, Mm. basically there are a lot of, you know, people experiencing homelessness who had set up a community kind of like this in a city park and, a lot of people like residents were like, I mean, (laughs) we don't have enough like shelters and we don't have, you know, like enough government housing or affordable housing period for these people to have a place to stay. So like, I mean, I don't care if they stay in the park. It's like the least we could do is just let them do that. And Mm. the city was like, Nope. Uh, send in the cops basically. And they just like cleared it all out. So it was like, there were like these huge protests over it. Um, I don't know if, um, you'd call it like a riot level of um, civil unrest, but it was, you know, mm. a lot of uh, people were very, very mad about that, understandably. Yeah. Um, so imagine, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, this guy in the movie in the day after tomorrow, he does actually like kind of help the people who are stuck in the library, like when they're trying to stay warm after the really cold weather gets like mm. hits. Yeah. Cause there's a scene where they're like, he's like showing them how to like roll up newspaper and like use it as like insulation yeah. in your jacket. Insulation, yeah. Yeah. Cause he's like, you know, like living on the street for this many years, you kind of learn how to survive basically. Um, mm. But yeah, it was interesting. I thought he was a, a good character um, to highlight some of those issues, but yeah, I guess like after that happens, like eventually things sort of settle down. I mean, like, they don't even begin to mention, you know, like how many millions of people this kills, but yeah. I, would Im- I would imagine it's like a pretty huge, like mass death event, which is something that always yeah. happens in disaster movies, I think. But for sure, especially yeah. for the people who went outside. Right. Cause there was like a whole, they did warn them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was like a whole faction of the people in the library who were like, we're leaving. And then Sam was like, no, like you guys need to stay. My dad's a climatologist he says it's going to get worse. Like you're going to die if you go outside and they're like, no, we're going to go anyway. <laughs> yeah. And like they all die. So it's, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess like, how does the movie end? So it's like, they've, 
the scientist finally rescues his son. Somehow he makes it there and back again to DC, I guess. Um, hmm. I don't really think they show how he gets out, but um, it's a helicopter. Oh, that's I mean, right. They get they get word here and to yeah. the president and the president mm-hmm. sends a yeah. So sends a rescue team to the whole of North America or the whole yeah. of the northern states. Yeah, because it's like because oh, yeah, people like hunkered down, and I guess there were there were survivors. There were survivors. Um, um, but yeah, I think the movie ends with the vice president uh, giving a speech from Mexico, and because mm-hmm. that's where you know all the people in the south half of the country a lot of them had to go there so um yeah he was just talking about like how i specifically remember him saying that basically like the third world like stepped up and basically saved you know like all these people like they took them in mm. as like climate refugees essentially um yeah and then those there's like this final shot from like the international space <laughs> station and they're like you know it's like a bumper sticker yeah. kind of yeah quote and they're like oh i've never seen the air so clean <laughs> and then it's like <laughs> okay i guess that's the resolution it's like yeah nature nature wiped everything clean i'm gonna start again yeah. uh yeah that 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 uh speech by the by the vice president was quite interesting um yeah it was and a lot of the, the reporting before that as well the, there was some weird stuff about how like okay for one a lot of people were just like crossing the, the Mexican border, like without any type of uh, yeah. regulation or whatever, which mm-hmm. is like the opposite of what happens today, which is exactly. very interesting to see. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure how But I about there that. were some geopolitics involved there because they, they, mm-hmm. they did say that. Uh, didn't it work out like a US, treaty with Mexico? Yeah. Apparently, the US forgave all Latin American debts. So the whole yes. of like South America and Mexico, how just so they can get into Mexico. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But how, like, how does Mexico speak for the whole of Latin America? Like, exactly. Like, you don't just forgive our debts. Like, yeah. everybody's south of us as well. Yeah. Which I don't think is very realistic. No, because Mexico is in North America. It's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's not the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, so like, all Latin America is mm-hmm. crazy. And um, I might be wrong about this, but I don't even know if Mexicans consider themselves to be Latin American. Because uh, I always kind of thought that Latin American was like South sure. America. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I might, when, when I think of Latin America, I'm thinking of South America. Yeah, I could be wrong yeah, about that. A, but yeah, yeah I, I don't suppose know. everything south of the U.S. is kind of like Hispanic or. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some way. Yeah. Um, um, I know that's difficult. I, um, it's like kind of complicated how people's identities yeah. vary on that, but, um, yeah, they yeah. did kind of just lump everybody into one group of people, which was problematic. <laughs> um, yeah. also like you yeah. mentioned, like it was like, Oh, you know, like we've spent, you know, how many years now policing the border and talking about like a, you know, like <laughs> migrant crisis, which doesn't exist. And, yeah. And then suddenly it's just like cool for Americans to just walk over the other side of the border when they need to escape or whatever. And I don't know. Yeah. It just, it felt really gross. It kind of like, Oh, um, um, we like, look down all these third world countries and mm-hmm. are they saving us? The wording right. in, in that, that, uh, that talk was just weird. It was weird. Yeah. Um, it's very cringy. And I, I thought, don't think I don't think it's re- that type of wording would have been realistic um, 
or even the need for that kind of press conference, like it would just yeah. be like thanking people and that'll be yeah. the end of it. Right. You wouldn't exactly. get too much into the minutiae. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was um, thinking of the same exact thing when I was watching it. Cause I was like, okay, like, <laughs> let's be honest. Like, especially the vice president that they were trying to depict in that movie, let alone like probably most U S heads of state, like are not going to be modest enough to admit that, you know, like, we needed help in these people, you know, like who are we are now going to like publicly acknowledge in front of the entire world have been like historically marginalized and oppressed of suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, like come mm-hmm. to our rescue. It's, I don't know. It kind of, I kind of felt like kind of woozy after watching that. It just felt kind of gross. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It was, it, it was weird. I agree. It was weird. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I do like the fact that the, the vice president did go through this, like, this actual like arc and the end yeah, of it had he some did kind change. of redemption. Because yeah. mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie, he was all like, you know, when they were at the, um, I think whatever that conference was at, they were in New Delhi mm. and he was like, you know, there was this kind of tense standoff moment between him and the scientist. And he was like, you know, you should be careful before you make such alarmist claims. Uh, like our economy is every bit as fragile as the environment or whatever. And then the scientist, you know, had this really kind of quick comeback and he was like, well, like a sheet of ice the size of Rhode Island just broke off. Like some people might call that alarming or something like that. Um, (laughs) so it kind of went from him being like, you know, this, uh, ultra capitalist kind of like asshole dude to like, Mm. (laughs) Uh, suddenly, I guess, had at least a slight change of heart by the end of the film um, yeah. where he was, like, recognizing, you know, that we have to, like, change drastically if, you know, like, if we're going to not destroy the earth pretty much. And, mm. yeah, like, recognizing that, uh, I guess, like, the global south, so to speak, kind of stood up and helped everybody. But, yeah, uh, it was an interesting end to the film. But, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I guess that was like kind of like a whole summary of the movie from start yeah. to finish. Yeah. I think we kind of covered most of the high points anyway. Um, and obviously, you know, like almost 20 years after it came out, we're still talking about it. So I think you could say it's a pretty impactful movie. I would say so. Yeah. And I think it's a it's a classic. I would regard it as a classic mm-hmm. disaster movie. Yeah, I'd say so too. Um and I think the guy who directed this movie, I think he, I don't know if you ever saw it. I never saw it, but there was another movie that came out called 2012. And 2012, yeah. Yeah, back when. I've seen it, but I don't remember it. Okay. It was another it, yeah. like big disaster movie. I guess that's kind of his yeah. thing. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because back in 2012, everybody was like, oh, the world's going to end, which, yeah. of course, it didn't. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but now, um, the, now there's memes about like the Mayan guy who's like dyslexic and he actually meant 2021. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's probably more accurate. <laughs> it feels more like that anyway. It feels more. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess I also wanted to just kind of talk about um like what kind of impact the film had, like on not only people's perception of climate change, but um I don't know, just I guess like the way that climate change is depicted in other media too and things like that. So mm. I, f- I found, um, I think I mentioned at the beginning of our talk, there was this article that I found in 
uh, Yale Environment 360 um, that was all about like the impact of the day after tomorrow. That I thought was yeah. pretty interesting. It so, was an interesting article, yeah. Yeah. And they, they covered every perspective. Well, not every, but a, a lot of different perspectives, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, and the... It is a divisive movie, uh, especially mm-hmm. it seems like in the scientific community, or at least right. the activist community. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's going to be true for any type of movie like this. Um, Anything that has, you know, some kind of science element to it. That Yeah, but is is inherently like a form of entertainment. Right. You know, it's it's like the, the people are making this movie to turn a profit. Mm-hmm. It is obviously, yeah, it's based on the pressures for social change. Mm-hmm. But if that were totally the case, then you make a documentary, you know. Right. Which is exactly. not going to be seen by mass of people. That's why you have to make it entertaining mm-hmm. and worth being able to push in the box office so a lot of people see it. Yeah, um, totally. So it's this interesting dichotomy, but, you know, there's always going to people be people on the extremes that will complain about certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in that article, it was pretty interesting, actually, because, I mean, this, I mean, this makes sense, but it was saying, like, I forgot what magnitude it was, but it was, like, um, the number of tickets that the day after tomorrow sold was, like, you know, like, 10 times more or whatever than the number of tickets sold for An Inconvenient Truth, which came out around the same time. Mm. Um, And there was another documentary that he mentioned, too, but I forget the name of it. So it was, like you know, just if you're talking about like sheer impressions, like number of people who were exposed to it, it's like, doesn't even come close when you're comparing, you know, like a documentary and then uh, a fictional movie, like the day after tomorrow. But of course, you know, like there's different reasons for making both of those films. I think they're both valuable, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting. If you're going for like um, introducing just like a ton of people to the subject at one time, it seems like, something like this is a really way to do it, a really good way to do it. Um, and I think mm-hmm. the the main science consultant that they had for the movie, I've got his name. Let me see. What was it? Uh, Michael Molitor, I think is how you say his name. Um, he said there was a quote from him in the article saying like, this is like the most significant thing I'm going to do for science communication in like my entire career. He was <laughs> like, enough, yeah. yeah, he was like, this is like more significant than anything I've done with like the IPCC or like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting to see like. Probably true. Probably yeah, true. probably true. Um, in terms which of just is, impressions, like you said, like mm-hmm. it's going to be orders of magnitude different from any other type of media. Right. At least for now. Sure. How things will change in the future. But for mm-hmm. at the time, not even it's like day and night right the and came up. it was like a 10 times difference yeah it's in the article i like took notes on some of the big takeaways from that but it said like uh a, an article published in environment in 2004 found that the film generated 10 times more news coverage than the 2001 ipcc report which is like crazy um and also just said I thought they said that the movie caused 10 times more impressions for the IPCC. It might have been that. That That would have been better if it did do that. I think so. Here's the the exact quote from the article. 
Uh, it says the film unquestionably increased the public profile of climate science included in a November 2004 environment article by Anthony Lazorowitz um, was this finding. The day after tomorrow generated more than 10 times the news coverage of the 2001 IPCC oh, report. Yeah. So that's pretty crazy. So it led to more people reading the report than mm -hmm. the otherwise would have. Yeah. Which is tremendous. 10 times. That's crazy. Right. It's nuts. And by the way, the article that I'm referencing is called um, the Lingering Influence of Day After Tomorrow by Michael Svoboda. Mm. Uh, and this was published in Yale Climate Connections. So I'll leave a link to that in the description. Mm. But um, yeah, it's um, it's crazy. Like, And it kind of gets at this whole, um, I think this has like largely been abandoned now, but there is um, there used to be this kind of, I guess, like science communication theory that a lot of people um, would go off of to try to raise awareness about things like climate change, um, which is, um, uh, what was it called? I think it's the information deficit communication model. Mm, yeah. See. yeah. The information deficit model of science communication, which yeah. basically says, and this is common sense. Like you'd think the more, um, you can educate the public about an issue, um, the more support there would be to like address that issue. Um, so for a long time, people were like, oh, the solution to dealing with like climate skeptics is just to, you know, educate more people about the actual science of climate yeah. change, which yeah. doesn't actually really work. Um, no, it's you're just throwing facts at people and hoping that it sticks. Yeah, there's no there's no discussion. Mm -hmm. There's no interaction. There's no like it's communicate like communications two ways. Right, exactly. And that's why, yeah, the deficit model is just like, okay, we need to throw that out. <laughs> yeah. Window. Yeah. Uh, so, it only it only works in like academia, like writing sure. a scientific paper. Yeah. Because your audience is already like kind of clued up. If they're reading your paper, they're likely to understand. Mm -hmm. Um it's 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 a it's a way of communication that's been around for, for a long time. But that's changing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um even in academia, I think. Um, yeah, and there is scientists are becoming more engaging with the public. Like just the number mm -hmm. of academics I think that joined Twitter this past, like since the pandemic started, is <laughs> like crazy. Twitter is actually um, a great resource for that, I think. For sure, especially yeah. now with a lot of academics joining, mm -hmm. um, it's it's better to follow scientists. I think if if you're really interested in a, in a particular subject. Totally. Uh, but now, like, yeah, like now, if if certain outlets like publish the wrong thing, there'll be just like an onslaught of scientists be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, Professor Catherine Hayhoe, um, who's a climate scientist, a Canadian climate scientist, um, she actually has created like a list on Twitter. I think it's called People Who Do Climate, um, but it's like just. Mm you know, anybody who she can find a climate scientist or somebody. Who's, yeah. yeah. It's just like a list of people to follow, which is great. Um, so I actually followed that list recently. I only recently found out about it, but um, okay. Yeah. It's really nice because um, like you said, you're just getting almost like instant commentary from experts on like what's going on in the world. Um, Cause like anytime there's like some kind of, you know, climate event or whatever, like, like we were talking about like earlier, like the, um, the hail in Italy or, you know, like the flooding that we've been having in the U S or, you know, like the, um, 
like the climate driven um, famines that they're now having in Madagascar. Mm. Um, it's like, you can see like these scientists offering uh, more context and just um, deeper insight than you might normally get from just reading the article. Um, or if you don't mm. have time to read the article and you're just, you know, like one of those people who like me just reads the headline a lot of the times, which is a bad thing. Mm. <laughs> you can like, you know, yeah, it is a bad thing, but that's, that's, that is like the standard procedure right, for everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you only really into a lot of things because you're like interested in the subject and you create sure. content for it. But, <laughs> but the day-to-day person, that's the standard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Read the read people. the title. Yeah. And if they are then interested, then they will click on it and, and read it through. But yeah, sure. attention is difficult to grab, especially yeah, totally. these days. Mm-hmm. And people are busy with their lives. They're gonna put food on the table. They're gonna look after the family. They're gonna right. do jobs to to, mm-hmm. to go through. So I, I try not to blame people for not uh, being yeah. uh, aware or not looking mm-hmm. at certain things. But it's kind of our job uh, as as experts or content creators to try and convince them that there's certain things that they need to pay attention to, or at least keep mm-hmm. in the back of their mind. Yeah, and I think that's why storytelling can be so helpful here. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was just like we were saying, like, you know, that movie generated so much more awareness about an issue like climate change than just like academic reports, uh, you know, did over, yeah. you know, like however many years, you know, it's just crazy how much of an impact it could have. Um, yeah, for sure. Because at, at the core of, well, I mean, the core is the climate change, but in mm-hmm. terms of the personal story, it's a family story, you know, it's about a, a yeah. son and his father. Yep. It's also a story about kind of like the burgeoning uh, beginnings of love, you know. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, you know, there's the like son a and the girl, and the girl gets there. sick, and he has to go on this journey to try and cure her. And it's, yeah. it's, there's a lot of personal <laughs> mm-hmm. aspects and interpersonal relationships and moments. Yep. That's that's dotted throughout, and that's really important for science communication. You have to frame things in a way that is important to just being a human being right exactly. otherwise it's just so alien to to mm-hmm. everyday folk yeah and you can't blame them for it because it's it's well, I mean, just not in their every day yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean like, we're storytelling social. species right totally um so yeah it's it's pretty cool what an impact something like this can have um i do kind of want to dig into more of the impact, like what specific kind of impact it had, because I thought it was pretty interesting, this study that was referenced in this article we're talking about, um, just seeing like the, di- the different ways that some people responded to it. Because, um, mm. I mean, you already mentioned some of this, like the response from scientists. So, you know, there were scientists like the science consultant on the film who were like, you know, this is an extremely significant thing for science communication. Um, this is really important. And then you had other people being like, this is so scientifically inaccurate, you know, like this totally yeah. undermines, you know, like decades of research by hardworking, uh, like climatologists, like this is kind of a slap in the face to science. So that was, I think one aspect of it, at least from the science community, but then there was oh, just from the general public too. It was interesting because they were saying, um, you know, like in the U S I mean, until like pretty recently, a lot of Americans thought like, oh, we're like pretty immune from climate change. Like we'll be fine, which is just like a typical stupid American attitude about a lot of things. Mm. Like, 
oh, like we're fine, we're America or whatever. Like, but then um, seeing, you know, the things like Los Angeles getting destroyed by the tornadoes, like New York City getting hit by the tidal waves. Um, those are, you know, places that are very familiar to people, um, and very iconic, like a great example of that is when the tornado destroys the Hollywood sign, um, you know, it just like rips across the Hollywood Hills and destroys the sign. And, you know, they've got the the guy in the news helicopter and he's like, you know, holy crap, it just destroyed the Hollywood (laughs) sign or whatever. So like, in, in terms of things like that, that was actually pretty brilliant, um, on the director's mm. part. Cause yeah. like, I mean, if you're trying to think of ways to like show like impact on everyday people, you know, like choosing landmarks like that, that are so iconic is a great way to do that. I yeah. thought, um, yeah. they also did this with the statue of Liberty. Um, because when the tidal wave was coming into New York, you know, there's like this famous scene and it's like, there's also, you know, like the, the thing on the cover of the film where it has like, a frozen statue of Liberty or whatever. And it's like encased in ice and stuff, but um, icicles coming off of it. Right. Yeah. But it just like shows like the tidal wave, just like crashing over the statue of Liberty, which is super cool. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was, that was good. And it seemed to have raised awareness a lot with Americans, at least for a short period of time, at least Mm -hmm. Um, just to make them like, I guess, raise uh, concern about climate change a little bit. Yeah, and it's kind of sad that they didn't do women like movies like it afterwards, or not a lot of them. Sure. Just keep it in in the public eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there were there were notable movies that dealt with with climate change and stuff, but I think climate in those movies, a lot, a lot of them, climate change is like the setting of right. it. You know, mm-hmm. instead of like in this movie, it is like the main conflict. Right. Yeah. And, um, which so, I think is, is difficult to do in feature films. It is really hard. And I think that's one reason this movie focused on like um, a dramatic, like sudden shift in the climate. Um, because like you were saying earlier, you know, normally these like extreme weather events that it shows in the film or things that would happen, you know, like kind of disconnectedly over a long period of time. Whereas in this movie, it was like all at once kind of and. Mm. That's like something people talk about um, in literature as well and any kind of storytelling medium where you're talking about climate change because it's like, um, you know, people will say like um, there's a term people use, um, they'll call um, climate change like a hyper object. So it's, you know, anything that's like so just like mind bogglingly huge, it's really hard for you to wrap your mind around it um climate change is one of those things um there are several other examples you could think of but um so it's for something that's that big that you know is um affects so many different aspects of your life and that uh also takes place over a really long period of time you know people call it like a slow emergency or whatever it's really hard to Mm -hmm. like depict that in a you know like a short like nicely packaged story that you can easily consume in you know like an hour and a half or two hours so yeah. yeah it's usually i think it's, it's usually like already happened and it's already like mm-hmm. post post-apocalyptic you know like right Wally, yeah wally or, or um, mad max i think other. this one you mentioned yeah, yeah. so um, it's it's difficult to 
I think to find a story in, in way it's happening, if it's going to be a gradual thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was interesting because I didn't consider this until, you know, after I was reading about it, but um, there have been other movies about climate change. This is not the only one. I think like we agreed mm. at the beginning, this is kind of like the big one that people can think of, but um I mean, you mentioned Wally and, you know, like Mad Max. They're always kind of like after the fact. But one thing that I thought was specifically weird about the type of climate change movies that people started making after this was that a lot of them were about an ice age, <laughs> which was like, mm. okay, well, it's called like global warming like or global heating. Why is it an ice age? You Why know? is it an ice age? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. Like you guys finally made a movie about climate change, but you did it the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's weird. It's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, um, you know, one of your, one of the points you had is like other, other movies. And for me, always Mad Max seemed like the most realistic yeah uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how the, the world will be set and like for sure like those type of scenarios would probably be like in australia which is already dry so getting even drier would be right worse. Or like the american uh, or west in, or in parts of africa mm-hmm. uh, but this fascination with going to an ice age i'm not sure what it's about i think it's probably because like our situation now is because an ice age ended no, so sure. if we if we had to reverse that, I suppose going to an ice age makes sense. Maybe, yeah. Another thing yeah. I saw was just that it was like as simple as money. Like people were like, "Oh, mm. people liked this disaster film about an ice age. Let's make more of those because it will make money." <laughs> yeah. So, which is like you know the kind of yeah probably capitalist uh, explanation mm. for why that happened. Maybe it's cheaper. Yeah, if you just have white on the screen, <laughs> maybe. <of> the time, <laughs> Yeah. Be easier to edit too. <laughs> yeah, from a VFX perspective. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but it was weird. I mean, and the thing about it is like some of these other movies, like um talking specifically about Snowpiercer, um, mm. which is a movie from Bong Joon Ho, um, who's a great director. Mm. Um, but Snowpiercer is actually based, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Snowpiercer is actually based on um a French comic book series that I think was originally published in the 60s. Um, might have been later than That's that, forgetting exactly when, but yeah, it's originally like a French comic, um, or graphic novel, I guess, that it was based off of. But you know, like the setting for that movie is you know, it's like again, like a post apocalyptic world where, like, in an ice age, um, basically, like, survivors are all on this one train that is just it, like, can't stop moving or it'll freeze, so they're just perpetually like on this train. And it's like pretty much like all the survivors in this one country or whatever stuck on this train called Snowpiercer. Um, But like the, the reason that the ice age happened is because we were trying to like take action on climate change um, because like the whole premise for the setting is that um, there was like a geoengineering experiment gone wrong, um, like solar geoengineering and, you know, like we accidentally caused an ice age by like whatever spraying aerosols into the atmosphere or something to deflect mm. UV rays. Um, so yeah, it's mm. just weird. It's like, okay. Um, I mean, I guess this is about climate change, but yeah. kind of not so much anymore because now it's like another man-made problem. 
Yeah, um, we just that, went the other way with it. Yeah. yeah, that is a kind of climate change, but it's not the kind that we're currently, you know, worried about. <laughs> so yeah, it's just weird, but also yeah. not very realistic. If we were going to do stuff like that, there's so much testing will go into it before we mm-hmm. deploy. Right. To get that kind of effect, jeez, mm-hmm. something yeah. that went really, really wrong multiple times and compounded mm-hmm. in an ice age. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because um, I actually almost wrote a book about that a couple of years ago. I wrote like Ooh, half of it and I never finished it. But um, there was, I guess, kind of like the premise for the book was that like, um, you know, some like billionaire, like um, an Elon Musk or somebody like that had like decided that they were going to, you know, like save your complex, like take it upon themselves to like fix climate change. And then. Mm. They basically with like without anybody's permission, like any government's permission, just like did a geoengineering um, oh, wow. project. Yeah. But, you know, they it went wrong and, you know, suddenly like all these like yeah. calamities start happening. But um, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds realistic. Yeah. But there have been um, there have been like some interesting kind of discussions and like articles that have been published about that that I came across when I was doing research for that. Um, one of which is like, oh, it could actually, you know, like harm some countries and benefit other countries, which, uh, you know, could happen because countries yeah. would probably be like acting in self-interest. So yeah, it was like sure. one scenario that could happen is like, let's say like, I don't know, like, uh, um, like Indonesia or something deploys like a geoengineering project, but then that causes like devastating rain in Vietnam, which you know, like then sparks a war between Vietnam and Indonesia or something like that. Mm. Um, so it's just, it gets very, very, very complicated. I'm sure there's probably a lot of game theory involved in that, but um, for sure. Yeah. It's weird, but that's actually like a conspiracy mm. theory now, at least in the United States is that like, because like Bill Gates has invested a lot of money in geoengineering science. And so like, just like people were like, Oh, like, there's like a microchip from Bill Gates and the COVID vaccine or something insane like that. Like <laughs> what? Bill Gates like clearly yeah. wants to like block out the sun to make money. <laughs> That's like kind of how okay. the conspiracy goes. And Sounds like a very expensive way to make money. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I still don't know how that would make money, but people are like, oh, yeah. Bill Gates just wants to block out the sun. I'm like, okay, why would he want to do that? Like, am I missing yeah. something? But yeah, the thing about like people like Bill Gates and stuff is like they've already made their money. Like it's it's yeah, he's like in the process of giving set, it all away. Yeah, they've already set up things in place so that they're gonna keep making money at a terrible rate. And, mm-hmm. um, and if they were already made look the bulk of the money, like you said, like it's in the process of giving it away. Right. Um, but like from what I understand now, like Bill Gates owns like the most amount of like farmland in the US. Yes, I saw that recently. And I think that's probably one of the ways you'll continue to make money, make your yeah. finance guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, yeah, and it's like um there is um, but like that is so like different and removed from like putting chips in a in a vaccine. Like yeah, it's funny. It's, I was yeah, I was um standing in line to go get a burrito one day at a restaurant and Mm. (laughs) like these two women who were in front of me in line they were talking about she was saying like one of her friends or something believes in that conspiracy theory 
and I just couldn't help but like eavesdrop. And she was saying like, oh, like my friend is convinced that like, you know, Bill Gates is going to put a tracker in her arm if she gets the vaccine or something. And then she like mm-hmm. held up her cell phone and she was like, they already contract. They already you. know. Like, they, you're they already being tracked exactly and you don't you care. Yeah. yeah. Like, why do you suddenly care now yeah. about something that if is you, totally If you improbable. have an internet connection, somebody can tell where you are. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not that difficult. No, yeah. no, it's not. And yeah, people, you know, seemingly didn't give a hoot about privacy until, you know, some insane conspiracy theory came along and this suddenly for some reason seemed more plausible, but <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a different apocalypse. That's a different, yeah, apocalypse. <laughs> a, yeah, it seems like a converging apocalypse. There's like all these different <laughs> things that are going wrong. Yeah, that's um, the Black Mirror apocalypse. Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we already mentioned some other films that people might want to check out if they like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we could just do a quick recap of that before we wrap up here because I know we're kind of coming up on time but were there any films that you would suggest people check out if they liked this one check out if they like this one in particular I mean or just something like it I don't know yeah not 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 from a clarified perspective but if you haven't seen Armageddon Mm -hmm. then this would probably hit the same type of tones because it's like probably plagiarizing too. From <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that one about the the drilling to the core. Is it called the core? Mm. Uh, but that's the one where essentially where the the planet's uh, internal core stop moving. Oh, okay. And they just send people to drill down and trying to get it restarted again. That's an interesting hmm. uh, one. Um, Wally is interesting in that it shows like you know the after effects and mm-hmm. what we have to do like you know if 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 we have to leave like Elon Musk's working on that right now mm-hmm. uh, that that potential apocalypse. What I thought was interesting is that like I saw this this uh, this poll on IMDb and the mm-hmm. number one grossing or the number one popular cli-fi movie was actually Interstellar, which huh. I did not think about that when i thought of clarify yeah that's weird the movie does start off with like some terrible like environmental devastating impacts yeah um, that's that why bill gates like, is buying that farmland yeah yeah he saw interstellar <laughs> but i don't think of interstellar as a as a clarify movie I mean, yeah it's, like, it's more of a one, sci-fi movie. yeah that's when i've seen some debate about because I thought that was a good movie, actually. I really liked it when I saw it. It's a good movie. Yeah, yeah, it was almost, I mean, not nearly as good, but it kind of reminded me of like 2001 A Space Odyssey in some ways. But yeah, yeah, because I guess like the the sort of unspoken premise of the movie, right, is that there's like, um, like massive famine and like crop failure. And that's presumably because of climate change, because that is like one thing that, you know, scientists have warned could happen and that is happening in some places right now is like widespread spread uh, crop failure. Um, So I guess that's kind of why some people classify interstellar as cli-fi, but yeah, I don't know if it's one that I would, you know. Yeah. I thought it was just someone's excuse to like just show off a lot of funky astrophysics. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of more like a visually um, impressive movie than anything else, I thought. Yeah, because I mean, like, 
I suppose like that the climate change part is the premise, but it's more like just the reason for the next part of the movie, which is like yeah. going up into space and having all these. It was just like the reason for him to go into space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. But, um, jeez, I just had another one at the tip of my tongue and then I just lost it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> because Interstellar is so compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose, um, uh, yeah, the Martian, I think, is tangentially interesting mm. in the way that, like, yeah, if we had to leave, we'd have to figure out how to, like, rebuild yeah. on Mars. Which would not happen. <laughs> yeah, and from, from the movie, it seems like people have a tough time. So maybe yeah. we should just take look after what we have right now. Right, exactly. Because it might just be, might just be worse. So I think living off of a, sense. Yeah, it'd be living on poop potatoes on Mars. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and I mean that could sound be something that we have to deal with here. Like if everything goes to to apocalyptic levels, we'll be living in these domes and yeah, trying to recycle our feces yeah. and like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we are hoping that we don't get to that point. We are yeah. hoping that cli-fi remains cli-fi and doesn't become doesn't become nonfiction. Yeah, climate reality. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like let me see. I know I mentioned Snowpiercer already. Oh, that's right. Um, I don't know if this is, well, I might go ahead and say that this is a climate fiction movie in some ways, depending on how you look at it. But um, Avatar from James Cameron. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Because that was like a huge environmental movie when it came out. Environmentalism, yeah. Yeah, it's like broadly environmentalism. So not specifically focused on climate change, but, you know, like when you start to actually look at it, everything's connected, you know, the reason that we're having climate change because of this other thing. It's where, it's where the story begins. Like that's how it starts. Yeah. With colonialism. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, um, I mean, that was like kind of the whole message of the movie. And I think that was, I think the idea for that, movie kind of was loosely based off of an Ursula K. Le Guin novel, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, she wrote this novel. It's not one of her more well-known novels, but she wrote this one that I think Lovis actually read it recently and she was telling me about it, but it's called um, The Word for World is Forest. Um, so okay. I think it was supposed to be kind of like a similar world to the one in mm. Avatar, but yeah, I guess that one, and the reason I guess I would say that that is a movie about climate change is because um, it seems to kind of identify like colonialism as the root cause of the climate crisis, which a lot of people have said is like where the mm-hmm. climate crisis began. Like somebody said like the other day, I think on Twitter, like, oh, like, you know, climate change didn't start in like the industrial revolution or whatever. It started in 1492, which is when Christopher Columbus, you know, like landed in North America and Mm. was like, okay, that was like what many people consider like the start of like European colonization of like the quote unquote new world. Um, And it, yeah, it's kind of interesting in in that way because it does show like the um, just like totally like um, unrestrained destruction and like exploitation of this kind of, Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely the start because like you you mm-hmm. can't have, I suppose, the industrial revolution without 
having all the resources that you need to make all of this stuff or having all the food that you need to make all of this stuff. And right. usually you won't be able to get all of that just from the land that's around you. Yeah. You got to go um, steal it from somebody else. You <laughs> steal it from somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Since, yeah. Yeah. So I it's, guess in that way, it's kind of, I guess, I would say it's kind of like loosely considered climb fi, but I wouldn't put it in the, like a, if we were going to call it like hard cli fi. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely uh, eco fiction. Yeah. For sure. Um, eco fiction. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is, yeah, the, the overarching genre. Sure. Yeah. But definitely, yeah. And then there's like Waterworld as, as well. Yeah. Like you were saying, kind of like the, what was that, like the second wave of, Ecofiction or quite fi like you're yeah, saying. So those type of movies, yeah. Mm-hmm. I need to go back and watch that. I feel like I'll probably think it's yeah, super cheesy, I, but <laughs> I can't remember much of it. I can, I can only remember a couple of scenes from it. Mm-hmm. Kevin Costner. Yeah, I was about to say Kevin Costner. Yeah. Mm. Um hmm. one to watch, another one to watch. I feel like my two mood and two watch <laughs> list has gotten huge. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should come back again and discuss Waterworld. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) That would be fun. Um, Cool. (laughs) Well, that's probably a good place to leave it then. Um, I feel like we could go on for a little bit longer about this. But yeah, yeah. anything you want to say in closing just about the movie or anything? Like where, for instance, people think if if you if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a try. Uh, I can imagine that newer generations might not enjoy it. Uh, but if you're a millennial and you didn't see it, I'll definitely go. Uh, I, would, I would suggest that you go and see it and see how um, kind of activism has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like the way movies are made are changed. Yeah, um, like totally. one, one of the off-thoughts off that I had is that if that movie was made now, it would be so different just mm-hmm. in terms of like geopolitics. Like I don't think like Japan would be oh, there. Yeah. I think China would be there instead. Russia yeah, totally. would definitely be mentioned, but it wasn't mentioned yet at all. Um, yeah, that was weird. I don't think Africa was mentioned or at any point no. it would be now, mm-hmm. especially because some some Hollywood movies are, are made in South Africa or parts of it. Right. Um, so I was just, it would be interesting to see if we had to remake that now with, with, with the way the industry is, how it mm-hmm. would change. Would we also have these like drastic, drastic effects? Right. Um, or would we dumb it down a bit just because we have more integration now with, with scientists mm-hmm. um, and entertainment than we had before? Um, right. And you would, you would be like risking... You know, like the director probably or producers would be risking themselves if they made such a fictional yeah, totally. over the top movie. Yeah. Um, and and get blown out on social media by, mm. by activists and scientists. Sure. Um, so I think just the just a study of, of, of the history of how we're trying to communicate science, I think it's it's worth a watch. Sure. Um uh, from the point of okay, these are the mistakes you don't make. Yeah. And uh <laughs> And yeah, these are what you try and focus on, the human, the human connection, the human story, because that's what drives mm-hmm. um, the movie, I think. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So if you enjoyed everything I had to say, don't think it was total nonsense, then <laughs> no, you, could, no. uh, you could join me over at geekoscopy.com mm-hmm. or, or any social media slash geekoscopy, you'll probably find me there. I run a podcast where I interview a lot of content creators, experts, scientists, just talking about how we can fuse science story and play together to communicate science and, and make a change. Yeah? 
Cool. It's about my story. Nice. And thanks yeah. for having me. It's been a fun chat. No, thanks for coming on the show. I had a lot of fun talking about this, so I'm glad you did. Um, but yeah, if you um, if you enjoyed listening to uh, Stories for Earth, uh, if you are a Stories for Earth fan, then you would definitely love what uh, Giannis is doing with Geekoscopy because it's I feel like it's a lot of crossover with what we're doing. Sure. So yeah, um, and he does a lot of cool stuff. So definitely check out his podcast. Um, but yeah, I think with that, we can... Um, call it an end there and yeah that was the day after tomorrow so it was <laughs> yeah thanks for coming on the show Giannis. i really appreciated uh you doing this so it was much. great talking to you yeah sure. stories for earth is written and produced by me forrest brown the music you heard in this episode is also by me if you want to help support further production of the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash stories for earth. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, and our website is storiesforearth.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you again next time.